Chapter fifty four, part one of a popular history of France from the earliest times, volume six. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. A popular history of France from the earliest times, volume six, by Francois Guizot. Translated by Robert Black. Chapter fifty four. Louis the fifteenth. The Seven Years' War. Ministry of the Duke of Choiseul. Seventeen forty eight to seventeen seventy four. Part one it was not only in the colonies and on the seas that the peace of aix-la-chapelle had seemed merely a truce destined to be soon broken hostilities had never ceased in india or canada english vessels scoured the world capturing in spite of treaties french merchant ships in europe and on the continent all the sovereigns were silently preparing for new efforts only the government of king louis the fifteenth entrenched behind its disinterestedness in the negotiations and ignoring the fatal influences of weakness and vanity believed itself henceforth beyond the reach of a fresh war the nation as oblivious as the government but less careless than it because they had borne the burden of the fault committed were applying for the purpose of their material recovery that power of revival which through a course of so many errors and reverses has always saved france in spite of the disorder in the finances and the crushing weight of the imposts she was working and growing rich. Intellectual development was following the rise in material resources. The court was corrupt and inert, like the king, but a new life, dangerously free and bold, was beginning to course through men's minds the wise, reforming instincts. The grave reflections of the dying Montesquieu no longer sufficed for them. Voltaire, who had but lately been still moderate and almost respectful, was about to commence with his friends of the L'Encyclopédie, that campaign against the christian faith which was to pave the way for the materialism of our own days Quote, never was europe more happy than during the years which rolled by between seventeen fifty and seventeen fifty eight he has said in his tableau du siècle de louis XV. the evil however was hatching beneath the embers and the last supports of the old french society were cracking up noiselessly the parliaments were about to disappear the catholic church was becoming separated more and more widely every day from the people of whom it claimed to be the sole instructress and directress the natural heads of the nation the priests and the great lords thought no longer and lived no longer as it the public voice was raised simultaneously against the authority or insensate prodigality of madame de pompadour and against the refusal ordered by the archbishop of paris of the sacraments Quote, the public the public wrote m d'argenson its animosity its encouragements its pasquinades its insolence that is what i fear above everything the state of the royal treasury and the measures to which recourse was had to enable the state to make both ends meet aggravated the dissension and disseminated discontent amongst all classes of society controllers-general came one after another all armed with new expedients m de machaut moreau de seychelles de Morat, excited successively the wrath and the hatred of the people crushed by imposts in peace as well as war the clergy refused to pay the twentieth still claiming their right of giving only a free gift the state's districts languedoc and brittany at the head resisted in the name of their ancient privileges the collection of taxes to which they had not consented riots went on multiplying they even extended to paris where the government was accused of kidnapping children for transportation to the colonies the people rose several police agents were massacred 
the king avoided passing through the capital on his way from versailles to the camp at compiegne the path he took in the bois de boulogne received the name of revolt road Quote, i have seen in my days says d'argenson a decrease in the respect and love of the people for the kingship decadence went on swiftly and no wonder at forty years of age louis the fifteenth finding every pleasure pall indifferent to or forgetful of business from indolence and disgust bored by everything and on every occasion had come to depend solely on those who could still manage to amuse him madame de pompadour had accepted this ungrateful and sometimes shameful task born in the ranks of the middle class married young to a rich financier m le normand d'etiole mademoiselle poisson created marchioness of pompadour was careful to mix up more serious matters with the royal pleasures the precarious lot of the favourite was not sufficient for her ambition pretty clever ingenious in devising for the king new amusements and objects of interest she played comedy before him in her small apartments and travelled with him from castle to castle she thus obtained from his easy prodigality enormous sums to build pleasances which she amused herself by embellishing bellevue babiole the marchioness's house at paris cost millions out of the exhausted treasury madame de pompadour was fond of porcelain she conceived the idea of imitating in france the china work of saxony and found at first at vincennes and then at sevres the manufacture of porcelain which the king took under his protection requiring the courtiers to purchase the proceeds of it at high prices everybody was anxious to please the favourite her incessantly renewed caprices contributed to develop certain branches of the trade in luxuries the expenses of the royal household went on increasing daily the magnificent prodigalities of king louis the fourteenth were surpassed by the fancies of madame de pompadour vigilant in attaching the courtiers to herself she sowed broadcast all around her favours pensions profitable offices endowing the gentlemen to facilitate their marriage turning a deaf ear to the complaints of the people as well as to the protests of the states or parliaments the greedy and frivolous crowd that thronged at her feet well deserved the severe judgment pronounced by montesquieu on courtiers and courts Quote, ambition amidst indolence baseness amidst pride the desire to grow rich without toil aversion from truth flattery treason perfidy neglect of all engagements contempt for the duties of a citizen fear of virtue in the prince hope in his weaknesses and more than all that the ridicule constantly thrown upon virtue form i trow the characteristics of the greatest number of courtiers distinctive in all places and at all times the majesty of louis the fourteenth and the long lustre of his reign had been potent enough to create illusions as to the dangers and the corruptions of the court the remnants of military glory were about to fade out round louis the fifteenth the court still swarmed with brave officers ready to march to death at the head of the troops the command of armies henceforth depended on the favour of madame the marchioness of pompadour the day had come when the fortune of war was about to show itself fatal to france marshal saxe had died at chambord still young and worn out by excesses rather than by fatigue this foreigner this huguenot as he was called by louis the fifteenth had been the last to maintain and continue the grand tradition of french generals war however was inevitable 
five months of public or private negotiation carried on by the ambassadors or personal agents of the king could not obtain from england any reparation for her frequent violation of the law of nations the maritime trade of france was destroyed the vessels of the royal navy were themselves no longer safe at sea on the twenty first of december seventeen fifty five the minister of foreign affairs rouille notified to the english cabinet quote, that his most christian majesty before giving way to the effects of his resentment once more demanded from the king of england satisfaction for all the seizures made by the english navy as well as restitution of all vessels whether warships or merchant ships taken from the french declaring that he should regard any refusal that might be made as an authentic declaration of war england eluded the question of law but refused restitution on the twenty third of january an embargo was laid on all english vessels in french ports and war was officially proclaimed it had existed in fact for two years past a striking incident signalized the commencement of hostilities rather a man of pleasure and a courtier than an able soldier marshal richelieu had nevertheless the good fortune to connect his name with the only successful event of the seven years war that was destined to remain impressed upon the mind of posterity under his orders a body of twelve thousand men on board of a squadron commanded by m de la galissonniere left toulon on the tenth of april seventeen fifty six at the moment when england was excited by expectation of a coming descent upon her coasts on the seventeenth the french attacked the island of minorca an important point whence the english threatened toulon and commanded the western basin of the mediterranean some few days later the english troops driven out of ciudadela and maon had taken refuge in fort st philip and the french cannon were battering the ramparts of the vast citadel on the tenth of may an english fleet commanded by admiral bing appeared in the waters of port maon it at once attacked m de la galissonniere the latter succeeded in preventing the english from approaching land after an obstinate struggle admiral bing afraid of losing his fleet fell back on gibraltar the garrison of fort st philip waited in vain for the return of the squadron left to its own devices it nevertheless held out the fortifications seemed to be impregnable the siege-works proceeded slowly the soldiers were disgusted and began to indulge to excess in the wine of spain Quote, no one who gets drunk shall have the honour of mounting the breach said richelieu's general order before long he resolved to attempt the assault fort st philip towered up proudly on an enormous mass of rock the french regiments flung themselves into the fosses setting up against the ramparts ladders that were too short the soldiers mounted upon one another's shoulders digging their bayonets into the interstices between the stones the boldest were already at the top of the bastions on the twenty eighth of june at daybreak three of the forts were in possession of the french the same day the english commandant decided upon capitulation the duke of fronsac marshal richelieu's son hurried to versailles to announce the good news there was great joy at court and amongst the french nation the french army and navy considered themselves avenged of england's insults in london admiral bing was brought to trial he was held responsible for the reverse and was shot notwithstanding the protests of voltaire and of richelieu himself 
at the same time the king's troops were occupying corsica in the name of the city of genoa the time-honoured ally of france mistress of half the mediterranean and secure of the neutrality of holland france could have concentrated her efforts upon the sea and have maintained a glorious struggle with england on the sole condition of keeping peace on the continent the policy was simple and the national interest palpable king louis the fifteenth and some of his ministers understood this but they allowed themselves to drift into forgetfulness of it for a long time past under the influence of count kaunitz a young diplomat equally bold and shrewd quote, frivolous in his tastes and profound in his views end quote, maria theresa was inclining to change the whole system of her alliances in europe she had made advances to france count kaunitz had found means of pleasing madame de pompadour the empress put the crowning touch to the conquest by writing herself to the favourite whom she called quote, unquote, my cousin the great frederick on the contrary all the time that he was seeking to renew with the king his former offensive and defensive relations could not manage to restrain the flow of his bitter irony louis the fifteenth had felt hurt on his own account and on his favourites he still sought to hold the balance steady between the two great german sovereigns but he was already beginning to lean towards the empress a proposal was made to maria theresa for a treaty of guarantee between france austria and prussia the existing war between england and france was accepted from the defensive pact france reserved to herself the right of invading hanover the same conditions had been offered to the king of prussia he was not contented with them whilst maria theresa was insisting at paris upon obtaining an offensive as well as defensive alliance frederick the second was signing with england an engagement not to permit the entrance into germany of any foreign troops Quote, i only wish to preserve germany from war wrote the king of prussia to louis the fifteenth on the first of may seventeen fifty six at versailles louis the fifteenth replied to the anglo-prussian treaty by his alliance with the empress maria theresa the house of bourbon was holding out the hand to the house of austria the work of henry the fourth and of richelieu already weakened by an inconsistent and capricious policy was completely crumbling to pieces involving in its ruin the military fortunes of france the prudent moderation of abbe de berny then in great favour with madame de pompadour and managing the negotiations with austria had removed from the treaty of versailles the most alarming clauses the empress and the king of france mutually guaranteed to one another their possessions in europe quote, each of the contracting parties promising the other in case of need the assistance of twenty-four thousand men end quote russia and saxony were soon enlisted in the same alliance the king of prussia's pleasantries at one time coarse and at another biting had offended the tsarina elizabeth and the elector of saxony as well as louis the fifteenth and madame de pompadour the weakest of the allies was the first to experience the miseries of that war so frivolously and gratuitously entered upon from covetousness rancour or weakness those fertile sources of the bitterest sorrows to humanity quote, it is said that the king of prussia's troops are on the march wrote the duke of luynes in his journal september three seventeen fifty six it is not said whither frederick the second was indeed on the march with his usual promptitude a few days later saxony was invaded dresden occupied and the elector king of poland invested in the camp of pirna 
general brown hurrying up with the austrians to the saxons aid was attacked by frederick on the first of october near lovesitz without being decisive the battle was nevertheless sufficient to hinder the allies from effecting their junction the saxons attempted to cut their way through they were hemmed in and obliged to lay down their arms the king of prussia established himself at dresden levying upon saxony enormous military contributions and otherwise treating it as a conquered country the unlucky elector had taken refuge in poland the empress had not waited for this serious reverse to claim from france the promised aid by this time it was understood how insufficient would be a body of twenty-four thousand men for a distant and hazardous war recently called to the council by king louis the fifteenth marshal belle-isle still full of daring in spite of his age loudly declared that quote, since war had come it must be made on a large scale if it were to be made to any purpose and speedily end quote. some weeks later preparations were commenced for sending an army of a hundred thousand men to the lower rhine the king undertook besides to pay four thousand bavarians and six thousand wurtemburgers who were to serve in the austrian army marshal d'estrees grandson of louvois was placed at the head of the army already formed he was not one of the favorite's particular friends Quote, marshal d'estrees she wrote to count clermont is one of my acquaintances in society i have never been in a position to make him an intimate friend but were he as much so as m de soubise i should not take upon myself to procure his appointment for fear of having to reproach myself with the results madame de pompadour did not continue to be always so reserved and m de soubise was destined before long to have his turn m de belle-isle had insisted strongly on the choice of marshal d'estrees he was called quote, unquote, the temporizer and was equally brave and prudent quote, i am accustomed said the king to hear from him all he thinks end quote. the army was already on the march whilst hostilities were thus beginning throughout europe whilst negotiations were still going on with vienna touching the second treaty of versailles king louis the fifteenth as he was descending the staircase of the marble court at versailles on the fifth of january seventeen fifty seven received a stab in the side from a knife withdrawing full of blood the hand he had clapped to his wound the king exclaimed quote, there is the man who wounded me with his hat on arrest him but let no harm be done him the guards were already upon the murderer and were torturing him pending the legal question the king had been carried away slightly wounded by a deep puncture from a penknife in the soul of louis the fifteenth apprehension had succeeded to the first instinctive and kingly impulse of courage he feared the weapon might be poisoned and hastily sent for a confessor the crowd of courtiers was already thronging to the dauphins to him the king had at once given up the direction of affairs justice meanwhile had taken the wretched murderer in hand robert damiens was a lackey out of place a native of artois of weak mind and sometimes appearing to be deranged in his vague and frequently incoherent depositions he appeared animated by a desire to avenge the wrongs of the parliament he burst out against the archbishop of paris christopher de beaumont a virtuous prelate of narrow mind and austere character quote, the archbishop of paris he said is the cause of all this trouble through ordering refusal of the sacraments End quote. 
no investigation could discover any conspiracy or accomplices with less coolness and fanatical resolution than ravaillac damiens like the assassin of henry the fourth was an isolated criminal prompted to murder by the derangement of his own mind he died like ravaillac amidst fearful tortures which were no longer in accord with public sentiment and caused more horror than awe france had ceased to tremble for the life of king louis the fifteenth for one instant the power of madame de pompadour had appeared to be shaken the king in his terror would not see her m de machaut but lately her protege had even brought her orders to quit the palace together with the salutary terrors of death louis the fifteenth's repentance soon disappeared the queen and the dauphin went back again to the modest and pious retirement in which they passed their life the marchioness returned in triumph to versailles messieurs de machaut and d'argenson were exiled the latter who had always been hostile to the favourite was dismissed with extreme harshness the king had himself written the sealed letter quote, your services are no longer required i command you to send me your resignation of the secretaryship of state for war and of all that appertains to the posts connected therewith and to retire to your estate of orme madame de pompadour was avenged the war meanwhile continued the king of prussia who had at first won a splendid victory over the austrians in front of prague had been beaten at kolin and forced to fall back on saxony marshal d'estrees slowly occupying westphalia had got the duke of cumberland into a corner on the weser on the morning of july twenty three seventeen fifty seven the marshal summoned all his lieutenant-generals gentlemen he said to them i do not assemble you to-day to ask whether we should attack m de cumberland and invest hamelin the honour of the king's arms his wishes his express orders the interest of the common cause all call for the strongest measures i only seek therefore to profit by your lights and to combine with your assistance the means most proper for attacking with advantage a day or two after july twenty sixth the duke of cumberland who had fallen back on the village of hastenbeck had his entrenchments forced he succeeded in beating a retreat without being pursued an able movement of prince ferdinand of brunswick and a perhaps intentional mistake on the part of m de maillebois had caused a momentary confusion in the french army marshal d'estrees however was not destined to enjoy for long the pleasure of his victory even before he had given battle the duke of richelieu had set out from versailles to supersede him in his command the conquest of port mahon had thrown around richelieu a halo of glory in germany he reaped the fruits of marshal d'estrees successes the electorate of hanover was entirely occupied all the towns opened their gates hesse castle brunswick the duchies of ferden and of bremen met with the same fate the marshal levied on all the conquered countries heavy contributions of which he pocketed a considerable portion his soldiers called him quote, unquote, father la maraude the pavilion of hanover at paris was built out of the spoils of germany meanwhile the duke of cumberland who had taken refuge in the marshes at the mouth of the elbe under the protection of english vessels was demanding to capitulate his offers were lightly accepted on the eighth of september through the agency of count leinar minister of the king of denmark the duke of cumberland and the marshal signed at the advanced posts of the french army 
the famous convention of Kloster Severn. The king's troops kept all the conquered country. Those of Hesse, Brunswick, and Saxe-Gotha returned to their homes. The Hanoverians were to be cantoned in the neighborhood of Stade. The marshal had not taken the precaution of disarming them. Incomplete as the convention was, it nevertheless excited great emotion in Europe. The Duke of Cumberland had lost the military reputation acquired at Fontenoy. The King of Prussia remained alone on the continent, exposed to all the efforts of the Allies. Every day fresh reverses came down upon him. The Russian army had invaded the Prussian provinces and beaten Marshal Schwald near Memel. Twenty-five thousand Swedes had just landed in Pomerania. Desertion prevailed amongst the troops of Frederick, recruited as they often were from amongst the vanquished. It was in vain that the king, in his despair, shouted out on the battlefield of Kolin, quote, Do you expect to live forever, pray? End quote. Many Saxon or Silesian soldiers secretly left the army. One day Frederick himself kept his eye on a grenadier whom he had seen skulking to the rear of the camp. Quote, Whither goest thou? he cried. Quote, Faith, sir, was the answer, I am deserting, I'm getting tired of being always beaten. Quote, Stay once more, replied the king, without showing the slightest anger. I promise that if we are beaten, we will both desert together. End quote. In the ensuing battle, the grenadier got himself killed. For a moment, indeed, Frederick had conceived the idea of deserting simultaneously from the field of battle and from life. Quote, My dear sister, he wrote to the Margravine of Beirut, There is no port or asylum for me any more, save in the arms of death. End quote. A letter in verse to the Marquis of Argent pointed clearly to the notion of suicide. A firmer purpose before long animated that soul, that strange mixture of heroism and corruption. The King of Prussia wrote to Voltaire, quote, Threatened with shipwreck though I be, I, facing storms that frown on me, must king-like think, and live, and die. End quote. Fortune, moreover, seemed to be relaxing her severities. Under the influence of the hereditary Grand Duke, a passionate admirer of Frederick II, the Russians had omitted to profit by their victories. They were by this time wintering in Poland, which was abandoned to all their exactions. The Swedes had been repulsed in the island of Rügen. Marshal Richelieu received from Versailles orders to remain at Halberstadt, and to send reinforcements to the army of the Prince of Soubise. It was for this latter that Madame de Pompadour was reserving the honour of crushing the great Frederick. More occupied in pillage than in vigorously pushing forward the war, the marshal tolerated a fatal license amongst his troops. Quote, Brigandage is more prevalent in the hearts of the superior officers than in the conduct of the private soldier, who is full of good will to go and get shot, but not at all to submit to discipline. I'm afraid that they do not see at court the alarming state of things to their full extent, says a letter from Paris du Verny to the Marquis of Crémille. But I have heard so much of it, and perhaps seen so much since I have been within eyeshot of this army, that I cannot give a glance to the future without being transfixed with grief and dread." I dare to say that I am not scared more than another at sight of abuses and disorder, but it is time to apply to an evil which is at its height other remedies than palliatives, which for the most part merely aggravate it and render it incurable as long as war lasts. I have not seen and do not see here 
anything but what overwhelms me, and I feel still more wretched for having been the witness of it." Whilst the plunder of Hanover was serving the purpose of feeding the insensate extravagance of Richelieu and of the army, Frederick II had entered Saxony, hurling back into Thuringia the troops of Soubise and of the Prince of Hildburghausen. By this time the Allies had endured several reverses. The boldness of the King of Prussia's movements bewildered and disquieted officers as well as soldiers. Quote, Might I ask your highness what you think of his Prussian Majesty's manoeuvring, says a letter to Count Clermont, from an officer serving in the army of Germany. This prince, with eighteen or twenty thousand men at most, marches upon an army of fifty thousand men, forces it to recross a river, cuts off its rear guard, crosses this same river before its very eyes, offers battle, retires, encamps leisurely, and loses not a man. What calculation, what audacity in this fashion of covering a country! On the 3rd of November, the Prussian army was all in order of battle on the left bank of the Saal, near Rosbach. Soubise hesitated to attack. Being a man of honesty and sense, he took into account the disposition of his army, as well as the bad composition of the Allied forces, very superior in number to the French contingent. The command belonged to the Duke of Saxe-Hildburghausen, who had no doubt of success. Orders were given to turn the little Prussian army so as to cut off its retreat. All at once, as the Allied troops were effecting their movement to scale the heights, the King of Prussia, suddenly changing front by one of those rapid evolutions to which he had accustomed his men, unexpectedly attacked the French in flank, without giving them time to form in order of battle. The batteries placed on the hills were at the same time unmasked, and mowed down the infantry. The German troops at once broke up. Soubise sought to restore the battle by cavalry charges, but he was crushed in his turn. The rout became general. The French did not rally till they reached Erfurt. They had left eight thousand prisoners and three thousand dead on the field. The news of the defeat at Rosbach came bursting on France like a clap of thunder. The wrath, which first of all blazed out against Soubise, at whose expense all the rhymesters were busy, was reflected upon the king and Madame de Pompadour. Quote, With lamp in hand, Soubise is heard to say, Why, where the devil can my army be? I saw it hereabouts, but yesterday. Has it been taken? Has it strayed from me? I'm always losing, head and all, I know. But wait till daylight, twelve o'clock or so. What do I see? Oh, heavens! My heart's aglow! Prodigious luck! Why, there it is! It is! Eh, ventre bleu, what in the world is this? I must have been mistaken. It's the foe. Frederick II had renovated affairs and spirits in Germany. The day after Rosbach, he led his troops into Silesia against Prince Charles of Lorraine, who had just beaten the Duke of Bavern. The King of Prussia's lieutenants were displeased and disquieted at such audacity. He assembled a council of war and then when he had expounded his plans, quote, Farewell, gentlemen, said he, we shall soon have beaten the enemy, or we shall have looked on one another for the last time. On the 3rd of December the Austrians were beaten at Lisa, as the French had been at Rosbach, and Frederick II became the national hero of Germany. The Protestant powers, but lately engaged to their sorrow against him, made up to the conqueror. 
admiration for him permeated even the french army Quote, at paris wrote d'alembert to voltaire everybody's head is turned about the king of prussia five months ago he was trailed in the mire Quote, cabinet generals says duclos greedy of money inexperienced and presumptuous ignorant jealous or ill-disposed ministers subalterns lavish of their blood on the battlefield and crawling at court before the distributors of favours such are the instruments we employed the small number of those who had not approved of the treaty of versailles declared loudly against it after the campaign of seventeen fifty seven those who had regarded it as a masterpiece of policy forgot or disavowed their eulogies and the bulk of the public who cannot be decided by anything but the event looked upon it as the source of all our woes the councils of abbe de bernis had for some time past been pacific from a court abbe elegant and glib he had become on the twenty fifth of june minister of foreign affairs but madame de pompadour remained faithful to the empress in the month of january seventeen fifty eight count clermont was appointed general-in-chief of the army of germany in disregard of the convention of Kloster seven the hanoverian troops had just taken the field again under the orders of the grand duke ferdinand of brunswick he had already recovered possession of the districts of luneberg zell a part of brunswick and of bremen in england mr pitt afterwards lord chatham had again come into office the king of prussia could henceforth rely upon the firmest support from great britain he had need of it a fresh invasion of russians aided by the savage hordes of the zaporogian cossacks was devastating prussia the sanguinary battle of zorndorf forcing them to fall back on poland permitted frederick to hurry into saxony which was attacked by the austrians general down surprised and defeated him at Hochkir in spite of his inflexible resolution the king of prussia was obliged to abandon saxony his ally and rival ferdinand of brunswick had just beaten count clermont at crevelt chapter fifty four part one